0: Just for sake of time, we saw last week that Barnabas and Paul disagreed about taking Mark, right? Mm -hmm. Disagreements in the early church, you know, and so Paul and Barnabas had a sharp disagreement. They split up, parted ways. Barnabas took Mark one way. Paul took Silas another way. And and they've gone on and and they're going to encourage the churches that they were, uh, that they went to in their first missionary journey. This is going to be their second, the Paul's second missionary journey. Most of y'all, if you have a Bible that has maps in the back, it'll have probably the first, the second, third missionary journey of Paul. It'll show you the map. If you download the outline of this chapter, I put a map on there that shows you how where he went to. Uh, but the first thing we're going to see here is that uh, Paul. Uh, finds this young man in, in Lystra. This was Remember, Lystra was one of the cities he went to in his first missionary journey, established a church there. He's going back now with Silas to encourage the church, strengthen them. He finds this young man that's going to be part of his missionary band from now on, and he's going to become very important to the gospel and to the church. His name is Timothy. It says, verse 16 says, the, um, chapter 1 verse chapter 16 verse 1 says then came he to Derby and Lystra and behold a certain disciple was there named Timotheus Timothy the son of a certain woman which was a uh, Jewess, which means Jewess which means she was a Jewish woman and believed she was a believer and a Jew but his father Timothy's father was a Greek and so it says he was well reported of by the brethren that were in Lystra and Iconium. And him would Paul have to go forth with him. Paul wanted him to go with him. And took him and circumcised him because of the Jews that were in those quarters. For they knew all that his, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. So Timothy is half Jew, half Gentile. His mother, her name was Eunice. Uh, We see that in 1 Timothy chapter, I think I wrote it down. Is it chapter 1? Eunice and her grandmother, Paul, talks about how they were also believers. They were not just uh, Jewish women, but also believers. And his father was a Greek, and so his father being a Greek was a whole, a whole thing we could talk about, about how it was really not proper for a Jewish woman to marry a Greek man, but they did anyway, evidently. And more than likely, his father him from getting circumcised when he was born. And so the first thing Paul does, he sees Timothy, this young man. Timothy was an ordinary guy. He was not some great, huge, wonderful dude like Paul was. I mean, uh, Paul, he's, history tells us that he was a skinny guy with a big nose, bald headed uh, But he had to have been pretty healthy, pretty strong, because he got beat up a lot. You know what I mean? He got stoned and, and thrown out of cities and whipped and put in chains, and, and he just kept going back for more. So he had to be at least pretty pretty healthy guy. But in, in Timothy, the book of Timothy, 1 Timothy, Paul writes to Timothy, and he tells him, you know, to take a little wine for your stomach and your frequent ailments. You know, So it's almost like Timothy's like this sickly little guy. Uh, he tells him over and over again, not to be afraid. You know, God hadn't given us the spirit of fear. That's Paul writing to Timothy. And so, you almost get the picture uh, that uh, Timothy's just like this little, you know, he's a little timid fella. He's a little sickly fella. But he was a disciple. He was faithful. He was one that was stood out. He had a good testimony among the churches. And Paul decides, I'm going to take him with us on our missionary journey. But the first thing he does is Timothy's got to be circumcised. Now, why would Paul... Circumcised Timothy after they just got done with this huge council about circumcision and how you don't have to be circumcised be saved. We shouldn't let the Gentiles be. Why would Paul the first thing he does and it tells us why really it says <clears throat> it says uh, him would Paul have to go forth with him and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews which were in those quarters for they knew all that his father was a Greek. Why would Paul Want Timothy circumcised because of the Jews that were in the area?
1: Because they would have been offended.
0: They would have been offended. They would have been offended by why would they have been offended? You're right, but why?
1: Because they they held, all, they held close to that that you know like you were talking about a couple of weeks ago that if a man eat meat, but if he's with the Jewish people that don't eat meat and you eat meat, you bring offense to them.
0: Yeah. Yeah, that's right. He, this is an application of what we talked about last week about that love, you know, loving your the brethren by not offending their conscience. You know, he says, see, now, Timothy wasn't a Gentile. He wasn't just a Gentile. You know, Gentiles, they didn't have to be circumcised. They could keep their own traditions as long as they trusted Christ. They couldn't be pagans anymore, but they could be, you know, they didn't have to be Jewish. Timothy was half Jewish. He was basically in the eyes of the people. People that would have seen him. He was a Jewish man that was uncircumcised. An uncircumcised Jewish man would have been, no way he's coming to our synagogue. No way we're listening to anything he's got to say. So it wasn't a matter of Timothy, in order for you to be right with God, we need to make sure you're circumcised. It was a matter of, look Timothy, we're going to be going. Remember the first thing Paul did when he walked into a city was what? He would go to the synagogue and he'd start preaching in the synagogue and he says, Look, we're gonna be hitting these synagogues. The first I mean, the first thing they're gonna ask you is you, they're not gonna to listen to nothing you say unless we circumcise you. Now they're what not kind to of
1: check him out, are they? Huh? <laughs>
0: well, it says they knew his father was a Greek. So they, huh? <clears throat> you think they had to check him when he walked in the door?
1: How, they How would they know? No.
0: Well, <clears throat> I mean, I think it was just the point of the matter that Paul was saying he was a circumcised man. I mean I don't know if it was like, you know, you gotta show it at the door to, to get in or something like that or they did that, but, You
1: know, would they just take his word for
0: it? I I guess, but he wasn't gonna to lie to him, I don't reckon. If he was a believer, a disciple, they knew his father was a Greek. I mean, can you imagine the sacrifice that Paul's asking Timothy, Timothy, I want you to come be a part of God's mission. Here's a knife. I need you to cut.
1: I think it's a heart thing.
0: A heart thing? I do.
1: I think it's a heart thing because, you know, Paul Paul takes this, like you've said, he's very in your face about his faith. And, you know, that also comes with loving one another. And the last thing that Paul wants to be is a hindrance to the faith. and And that's in any way. And I'm sure that anybody that went with him, He made sure they knew that too. Yeah. So, it's important thing. Not initially, you know, let me check your stuff. It's more of a, you know, we're doing this because it's the right thing to do.
0: Right. And he could proclaim, there's going to be a time where we, I think it was in Galatians. It might be. I'll look it up. But there was another man that went with him who was Gentile. His name was Titus. And he did not, even though he took Titus to Jerusalem, he did not make him be circumcised to go with him. He was a Gentile. It was just the fact that Timothy was Jewish. You know, if you're if you're a Gentile and you're not circumcised, the Jews would have been like, you know, what do you expect? He's a Gentile. That's, you know, whatever. Uh, but if he was a Jewish uncircumcised man, that, that would have been huge red flag. I mean, a huge red flag. It, for us, we're thinking, what's oh, the big deal? It doesn't matter. What, you know, whatever. But to them, it would have been like, this guy's, he, he's just a pagan. I mean, how we we're not taking nothing he says. He's he can't. You know it would have been a stumbling block. And so Paul, this is a this is the application to what we talked about last week. When uh, you you have to restrain your freedom sometimes in order to not offend the conscience of someone else. Uh, Paul knew good and well that Timothy didn't have to be circumcised to be. He was already a disciple. He already had a good testimony among the churches. We read that he already was a believer. He was off. Paul never questioned his faith whatsoever. The only reason he circumcised him was because he would be offensive to the people they were going to. And so Timothy had to sacrifice something big, you know, in order to be, in order to be not offensive. I mean, can you imagine just imagine uh, he's probably 18 to 25, don't know how old he was, but imagine being that age. Having yourself circumcised and then the next day having to walk thirty miles to the next town, you know what I'm saying? He he had to he had to sacrifice some stuff in order to in order to in order to be part of the gospel. So yeah. he was. Uh, <clears throat> He was a witness. He was clearing the obstacles. He was clearing the obstacles to faith. And he said uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 9, Paul said, "I become all things to all people so that I might win a few." If I'm around a bunch of Jewish guys, I'm not going to be eating pork, you know. If I'm around a bunch of Gentile guys, you know, bring on the barbecue. You know, he's he, he's just the things that are not forbidden or commanded in scripture, I'm going to I'm free in Christ to do whatever, uh, but if my freedom causes somebody else to stay then I'm going to restrain that freedom. I'm going to, I'm going to pull it back. And so uh, you see that God calls Timothy to the ministry here. Uh, but I want to also show you, and this is really interesting to me. This spoke to me, this next part spoke to me this week, just in my own stuff. Um, he in Verse 4, it says, 4 and 5, it says, they went through the cities, they delivered the decrees for them to keep. They were ordained, they were ordained of the apostles and elders, which were at Jerusalem. What were these decrees? That were ordained of the apostles and the elders at Jerusalem. Nobody knows what they were. Who was here last week? I Okay. What were the? What did? The, what was the letter say that the apostles and the elders gave them? They were not, the. it was a letter to the Gentiles, to the Jews, saying they didn't have to be circumcised. All they had to do was restrain their freedoms. They couldn't be pagans. Don't eat things with the blood in them. They were, they were telling that to all the churches. They were strengthening them. And it says, and so were the churches established in the faith. They increased in number daily. They were being strengthened and they were increased in faith daily. Now, just in time's sake, let's move on. It says, now when they had gone through Phrygia, the region of Galatia and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia and they were come to Mysia they assayed to go they wanted to go to Bithynia but the spirit suffered them not now here is two things this is really really something the the spirit of God wouldn't let them go preach in the areas that they wanted to go preach now think about this think about this they were I wish I had a map um they were, they were preaching and ministering in Lystra and Derby. That's where they had been before. And they wanted to go down to Asia. Asia is not the continent of Asia today. So you're thinking about China and all that. That's not where they wanted to go. We're talking about the Roman province of Asia, which was Turkey, Asia Minor. It was where the seven churches of Revelation are. Ephesus and Thyatira and Laodicea and all those. They wanted to go there, but the Spirit wouldn't let them go. And then, when the Spirit wouldn't let them go there, they turned north. Bithynia was north. It's right at the bottom of what, what's Russia today. Uh, they wanted to go north to uh, Bithynia, but the Spirit wouldn't let them go there either. And so, really, the only way they could go was, it's kind of north northwest toward Troas and... Uh, yeah, There's a map, but that's too small. I can't show everybody. There's a map in the outline if you want to look at it. Uh, to go west, and they ended up going to Macedonia. Now, we're going to talk about going to Macedonia in a second, but why would the Spirit of God, who called them to preach, called them to minister, why would He hinder them from from going to these different places? I mean, we don't know for sure, so... We're just talking out loud here. Why would God hinder them from going to maybe this place or that place? Let me tell you first, before you say anything, later Paul came back through those areas. He came back through Ephesus and the province of Asia. So later on, they did get evangelized. Later on, there were churches planted.
1: I think because he had...
0: That's right. I mean, that's exactly right. Yeah. What do you think Paul and them were thinking? They're head- I mean, we're, we're not talking about jumping in the car and going down to the stop sign and saying, all right, God, I'm going to go this way. No, I shouldn't go that way. No, no we're talking about they walked. 20 30 40 miles and then God turned them around sent them another way and then they walked miles that way and then God turned them around he was forbidding them to go to these areas later on Bithynia was also evangelized Peter in 1 Peter chapter 1 verse 1 he said to the churches that are in Bithynia and all these other places so it wasn't that God didn't want the gospel to go there the gospel did go there later on but it was not It was not the time for them to go there, to those regions. God was, we don't know how that, we don't know how that he forbid them to go. It could have been a dream, could have been a vision, could have been a whatever. He's going to have a dream here in a minute about going to Macedonia. I'm going to tell you what I think. And I got reasons for thinking this, but I think they were just hindered. Providentially, maybe the weather wouldn't let them go. Maybe they were couldn't cross over. Maybe some people say this is where Paul got sick. You know, he says that uh, Luke and Timothy was with him during his sickness in a uh, region of Galatia, and so uh, the circumstances wouldn't let them wouldn't let them go to the areas that they were intending to go. Doors were closing. You ever have doors closing in your own and you're thinking, God, you told me to go over here. You told me to do this. And and it's like God's just shutting these doors. I can imagine Paul and them thinking, I mean, you called us to go preach. You told us to go and make disciples of the nations. You told us to do all these. And I try to go southwest. And you say, no, I can't go southwest. And then I try to go north. And you say, no, I can't go north. Huh? We have to wait on his yeah, yeah. And. It doesn't seem, we're not told about what they thought or anything like that. But if I'm Paul, I'm thinking, I mean, what... Everywhere I try to go, you slamming the door in my face. Everywhere I try to go, you shutting things off and I just can't, I mean, I don't understand why we can't go over here. It's almost like, now if God showed up in a dream or a vision to Paul and says, Paul, you're not going to be going over there, you know, that's one thing. You say, well, hey, God don't want us to go there. But if Paul and them are saying, hey, we're going down to Ephesus, it's a big, huge city, it's going to be, a, we're going to be planting churches there and it's going to spread out through," and they're just not able for some reason, you know, whether weather. Or circumstances, or something going on, you would start thinking, well, "Well, how come you're not opening the door for me to go? Why are you keep Why are you keep allowing these things to get in our path and hinder us and keep us from going to these things?" And the reality was that. God had a purpose for them to go right then to a different place. They were going to Macedonia. Macedonia, the area that they were sent to, is right on the edge of what we call Europe today. And so the gospel, I mean, think about this for a moment. Now just just bear with me and think with me for a second. If circumstances were different right here, right here, as Paul is trying to go to Asia, trying to go to Bithynia, if circumstances were different, it very well could be today that we would be a eastern country or a a people that believed in eastern religions or Muslim things or you know there weren't no Muslims back then but you know what I mean the fact that the Western, western world has largely been Christianized for the most of history It could be, I'm not saying it was for sure, but it could be the fact that God pushed Paul and Silas and all them all the way to the the edge of Europe right here rather than just let them stay around Asia, Asia Minor and all those things. He pushed them all the way over to Philippi, all the way over to Macedonia which is above Greece right there by Europe. And it was right here when they planted churches uh, they, they did these things that the gospel continued to move further west. So have you ever woke up one morning and just thought I mean just think with me for a minute what i mean why did i deserve to be born where i'm born in the culture that i'm born in and not in singapore or something you know what i mean you ever thought you you could have very well been born in iran You know, or or Iraq or Singapore, China, Japan, Korea, uh, areas where the gospel is, has not been largely, throughout history, I mean, it's not been largely... Uh, accepted by the culture but and we could talk about marginal Christians and how America's going away from that and all that kind of stuff but the reality is that for most of history the Western world has been Christianized it has been the gospels come it has been it has been led to the kind of culture that we have our founding fathers built the country on Christianity Christian principles all that kind of stuff and the reality is that all the way back when Paul and Silas we're walking around the first century. You can see, uh, it, I may just be using a little too much imagination, so just bear with me. But you can, I can see God working for the good of the world, for the good of uh, all of us, for the grace of his purposes. Way back in not letting Paul and Silas go to the south or to the north, but pushing them west. <laughs> I can see how, I mean, I just see it in my mind how how that, just that, Paul probably didn't have a clue. He probably didn't have a clue. Why in the world? Won't you just let me? I mean, we're skipping all these places. He says they were forbidden to preach. It didn't say they were just forbidden to go. It said, uh, where am I at? It says, and yeah, now they had gone through Phrygia, the region of Galatia. They were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia and that 's not the continent that 's the little that 's where Ephesus and the seven churches of Asia, Asia Minor were that 's Roman province of Asia, not the continent of Asia, and so they were forbidden to preach there they were forbidden by the Holy Ghost to preach there the Holy Ghost. Push them west. Now they're going to come back through but I don't know maybe it's just, uh, maybe I'm just making too much of it but I think that's amazing that you can look all the way back to when Paul and Silas were, were preaching and you could see God's hand directing their mission and if it had not been for God pushing them west the way that he did, uh, it very well could be that this would be a whole different world than it is right now. Have you ever thought about that? Does that strike y'all as? I mean, I don't want to put you to sleep or anything, but I just find that pretty interesting. Yeah. Danny, help me out. Is that not interesting? I feel it, it is. I mean, it, it's amazing. It's amazing that it's amazing that we are who we are. It's it's God's grace that we are where we are, who we are. The, the place that we live, it's God's grace that we live in Tennessee. Yeah, you know, right. what I mean, you go up to Washington State. I mean, good luck finding anything. Oh, I shouldn't say that there are churches up there, but I mean, it's a whole lot less than it is here. It's a whole lot. You go further up north, and it's like it, it ain't nothing like this. I mean, we just God's grace is. He, he, we're blessed. We are some blessed I've folks.
1: Got a patient that I take care of. I've been taking care of them for about six years. Their whole purpose of moving to, it's a town called Thornton, Colorado, Colorado, Mm -hmm. was to go out there and plant a Christian church because there's so many Mormons in that area. They were just, in Jennifer's words, flog you no matter where you're at, the (laughs) grocery store.
0: It's funny. When you said they were moving to Colorado to plant, I thought something totally different. (laughs) (laughs) Hey, but if there is one place, you go west, you go north, you go—I mean, ain't ain't no green Jesus signs in the yard in Colorado? Show are It ain't—they not praying before the ball games, you know, up in Manhattan nowhere. Mm-hmm. Uh, we are blessed. We're blessed, and God has blessed us to be who we are and where we are. And you can see, even now, let's bring it down to your life. I mean. God told Paul and he tells all Christians to go into all the world, make disciples wherever you're at as you are going. Preach baptize my name, teach them everything I've commanded. But here in this instance, Paul says, okay you know, Paul probably had his plan, he's a smart guy, he was very intentional, very strategic. He says, we're going to go down here to this big huge city, maybe it was Ephesus, we don't know for sure. We're going to go to this big huge city we're going to plant churches and they're going to spread from there and then we're going to take over this whole continent. And God says, no, you're not going there forbade them to go. And then they says, Okay, um, that's not gonna work, so we're gonna go up north. We're gonna go up to Bithynia, right there where the bottom of Russia is, and we're gonna go preach there. Holy Spirit says, Nope, you're not going there. If it was me, I'd be like, God, I mean, should I just go home? You mean just take my stuff and go home? Uh, but it says here in uh, uh the only way they could go was toward Mysia, toward Troas, and they passing by, verse 8, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas, and it says, "...and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and praying him, calling out to him, saying, come over to Macedonia and help us." And so he was saying he saw a vision in the night of a man from Macedonia saying, come over here and help us. It's, a, it's interesting that he didn't say, come preach the gospel to us, but come come help us. What do you think he was talking about when he says, come help us? That's kind of a trick question. He was talking about preaching the gospel to him. He was, yeah, he was talking about go and preach the gospel. A lot of times we don't realize that the best way to help People is not just to give them, you know, you, you help them with their felt needs, you help them with whatever, but you got to give them the gospel as well. That's a whole nother lesson. Yeah, we can I have a question about six. okay, about six. Yeah, okay, um, and it says they were
1: forbid of the Holy ghost to preach the word in Asia, and then seven
0: says after they were come. Do you think you sent them through that way and just forbid them not to preach that they went through that area? I don't think so. Now, I mean, we can't be sure because what it says is just what it says, and that's all we're going by. But the reason I don't think so is because there's nothing that the Roman province of Asia, there was nothing there. I mean, you keep going. You're just going to hit the ocean. You're going to hit the uh, Black Sea. Is it the Black Sea? The Aegean Sea? One of them, I'll have a map. It's one of them seas. It, you're gonna hit. You're gonna hit the the water. And so, if he did go to them, he'd have to turn around and come back. Uh, so I don't know. I mean, I don't know. That's a good question. I don't really know. It's possible, but you're talking about. We're talking about miles and miles of walking. So um, I don't. I don't think that he let him go into the region. But like I said, it just says what it says. So, I mean, I could be wrong. That's not something I would fight and die over. And so, is that what it is? You're looking at the map. Yeah, what I've is got it? Here it? In my Bible. Oh, okay. I've it's got a, all
1: of these journeys.
0: You go, girl. Is it the Black Sea? Okay. See, it's the Black Sea. That was on the side of. Now I'm getting confused. The province of Asia is where. Western Turkey is today, right? That's right. Mm -hmm. I know that's right. Okay. Alright, so whether he went there and didn't preach or whether he was forbidden to go there, I don't know. It says they were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia and after they were come to Mysia, they wanted to go to Bithynia. Mysia is where's Mysia? You got the map. It is west
1: of Bithynia.
0: West of Bithynia? Yeah. Yeah, so the way that this and these arrows are just some dude drew the arrows based on what we're reading right here but they went from, from Antioch up toward Bithynia and instead of going to Bithynia they were, went through Mysia to Troas. Troas is right on the Aegean Sea and so I guess that is the Black Sea Miss, uh, Miss the Black Sea to the north Oh is it yeah. Well this map's too little for me to see it doesn't show
1: it's,
0: it's, it's black so Oh it does I'm so safe. I'm so goofy. It's, it's right there. So they went west to Philippi. All right let's get let's get Philippi done and then we'll talk about how they whether or not they went. What verse are we on, <laughs> I'm on <the> map. <laughs> y'all looking at the maps nah okay. Alright, so they got to, finally got to Philippi. They went past Mysia, they went to Troas, got to Philippi. And in Philippi, we're going to see the ministry is going to convert. Lydia is this woman's name. She is the very first person on the European continent to be converted to Christianity. Her name's Lydia. She's a businesswoman. She's a well-to-do, wealthy woman, seller of purple dye. And uh, she is going to be, you can remember her name, she, she is the first person on the European continent to be converted to Christianity. It says, There loosing from Troas we came with a straight course... No, not. Nah. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. We said that. There stood a man of Macedonia prayed him, come over to Macedonia, help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly uh, gathering that the Lord had called us for to preach the gospel unto them. Therefore, loosing from Troy, as we came with a straight course to uh, Samothrace, Shia, and the next day to Neapolis, and there thence to Philippi. Philippi is an important place. It's where Paul wrote to the Philippians and uh, he he loved the church at Philippi that was established there uh, this Philippi was the chief city of that part of Macedonia and a colony it was a Roman colony and when and we were in the city abiding certain days and on the Sabbath we went out to uh, out of the city by a riverside where prayer was wont to be made where there was a place of prayer and we sat down and spoke unto the women which resorted thither now we don't really know why Paul's first First, first thing he always did was go to the synagogue, but here it seems like there wasn't a synagogue. Uh, in in Jewish culture, you had to have at least ten heads of families to con- constitute a synagogue. If there weren't ten Jewish men, Jewish heads of families in the city, then you didn't have enough to make a synagogue. So if there were uh, Jewish people or God fearers, you know what's a God fearer? A God fearer is a a what? How is that were converted. Gentiles that were that worshipped the God of Judaism. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And so if there were God-fearers, they would meet together. And it seems like here there weren't enough heads of fa- This is just a guess, so I can't prove this, but it seems like there weren't enough heads of families to make a synagogue here in Philippi. So these Jews and God-fearers, it only talks about the women out by the river having a, at a place of prayer. They were, they were meeting together. And Paul and Silas and Timothy find out that there's a group of women meeting out together by the river that are uh, uh, God fearers. So we're going to go out to them and we're going to meet them at this place of prayer and it says, uh, and a certain woman named Lydia a seller of purple, she sold purple dye, purple cloth which was very expensive uh, of the city of Thyatira which worshipped God she was a God fearer, that's what it means, which worshipped God she heard (coughs) us. She listened to what Paul and them were saying, and then look at this verse, this passage right here. It says, Whose heart the Lord opened that she attended unto the things which were spoken of Paul. What does that mean that the Lord opened her heart? He convicted her, he convicted her of her sin, maybe? He opened and
1: illuminated
0: her. Illuminated her.
1: Yeah, he opened her up to where she could receive
0: everything that Paul had to say. Yeah, I think that's absolutely perfect definition. Do you think that still happens today? Sure. Do you think it's necessary? Sure. Yeah. So understand what he's what he's saying here. This is very important for especially you and I that are just going about our daily lives, school, work, whatever, and you're trying to be a witness to Christ. Um, it wasn't that Paul was so smart. Or Paul was very smart. It was, but it wasn't his smartness or his ability to speak or his ability to convince. It was the Lord that used Paul's preaching of the gospel that opened that person's heart. I can't tell you how many times somebody has come wanting to, you know, uh, talk about. Uh, ways to argue this thing or that thing and you know uh, this person came to me the other day and there were these arguments against Christianity, against there's a God and against Jesus and all these. What do I say when... The reality is, the, I mean, it's good to argue those things, it's fun, I enjoy it, I, I love learning about all that kind of stuff, but you will never, you will never convince someone to be a Christian, to be saved, uh, you will, it's impossible for you to do so. The Lord Himself, it's a supernatural work of God, He has to open the heart of that person. So, it sounds kind of cliche when, when somebody comes and says, oh, I'm worried about my kids, I'm worried about my mom, I'm... Worried about more. It sounds cliche for me to say, "Well, we need to pray for him." Well, I'm going to pray for him. You say it sounds like, "Well, okay, you're going to pray for him. is that going to do?" But really, that's the most powerful thing you can do because it is God who changes the heart. And that goes all
1: the way back to Exodus with God softening and hardening Pharaoh's heart. You know, when Pharaoh, when God hardened Pharaoh's heart, Pharaoh did everything against God. And there was, you know, two passages during the, the. The Exodus where it said, you know, and God
0: softened his heart
1: so that he could hear him and he knew he was God. Hmm. So that goes all the way back to Exodus of God hardening and
0: softening hearts to hear him. Yeah, absolutely. I don't know about you, but it would have to be a pretty good hardening going on for me to hang out with a bunch of flies in my room and and not let his people go. Uh, And so litten boils yeah i got a couple of them anyway uh anyway i just can um the uh no that's no, good uh so what you see here is this first lady it, it's it's interesting you know people say christianity's an anti-woman whatever the first lady that was the first convert in europe was a woman The first people that found the empty tomb were women. God changed this woman's heart as Paul was speaking to her. And she was a well-to-do businesswoman, a seller of purple. Uh, There's inscriptions of, of... uh, purple sellers guilds from Thyatira. So we have archaeological evidence that this was a case that Thyatira had a lot of purple dye and all that kind of stuff that was sold there. She was she could have been in Philippi uh, doing business. Or, I mean, we don't really know. But she was there. She was a God-fearer, a God-worshipper. She was meeting at the place of prayer with these women. Paul comes up. He starts telling them the gospel. He sits with them, starts telling them the fulfillment of all the Jewish law and Jewish religions. She hears all these things and God supernaturally opens her heart in order that she would receive this. That's what it says. It says, and when she, it says uh, in verse 14, it says, whose heart the Lord opened that so that she attended unto the things which were spoken of by Paul. He opened her heart so that she would believe. So that she would hear and attend to, that's what it says, the things that were spoken of by Paul. And it says, and when she was baptized, what does that tell you? Not only did she believe, but she was baptized, which means she followed the ordinance. She was obedient to what Paul had evidently told her about being baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And, she followed that ordinance Uh, it says when she was baptized and her household she besought us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord come into my house and abide there and she constrained us She, she convinced us to come to her house she not only believed but when she was born again she was regenerated by the Holy Spirit she followed in obedience by being baptized and she followed in service by giving of herself giving of her household, giving of her means. Uh, we're, go- Ma'am? On Loving, on Loving on the brethren. That's exactly right. And what we're going to see is the next passage that we're going to read next week is one that you know of. It's the Philippian jailer where the earthquake rocked the jail and the Philippian jailer. We're going to see that after Paul, it's really, really neat story, really uh, interesting. Uh, we're going to see that after Paul and Silas go through that whole deal, they're going to come back and visit Lydia's house before they move on. So this was kind of like a place that became, the little I don't know, base of operations maybe for Paul. But she, you see this woman, God opens her heart at the preaching of Paul. She follows She follows with faith because her heart has been opened. She follows that with obedience and being baptized. And then that follows with her serving the brethren by giving of her life and of her household and of her her stuff. Make sense? So you see, there's two things in this whole text that really spoke for me this week was, number one, there's going to be, even though God's commanded you to do something maybe that you're doing, there's going to be times when doors shut, doors open. You know, there's going to be times when God says, you know, I want you to go preach the gospel. And you say, okay, I'm going down to Asia. And God says, no, I don't want you to go to Asia. Okay, I'm going to go up to Bithynia. And God says, no, I don't want you to go to what you told me to go. You know, it's, God is going to be directing the steps of his people to go in his time, and his purpose, in his will, in his way, the way that he wants it done. And then, the second thing that we need to learn is that as we are going in his time, and his purpose, and we're bringing this gospel, we don't take the burden upon ourselves to change somebody's heart. Because you can't do it. You won't have good enough arguments. You won't have good enough explanations. You won't have anything good enough. You are not able to change somebody's heart. So if somebody comes and you got somebody you love and you want them to be saved or some stranger that you're just trying to convince, you understand you don't take the burden of their salvation upon yourself. It's God who opens the hearts. And we pray that God would open that person's heart. It doesn't matter. I've told you this before. I've told you, I, I always think of, I can't remember who it was. Uh, it was somebody that I had been talking to for a while, and just all kind of evidence, all kind of arguments, all kind of discussions, whatever, and then, you know, one day along comes Brother Ed and say, you know Jesus, they're like, oh, you know, and I'm like, what? Well, how does that work? You know, I've been four hours a day doing arguments, and he'll just come along, and you just, it's God that opens the heart. It's not up to you, it's not up to me, it's not up to anybody. And you don't have to have the best argument, you don't have to have the best teaching, you don't have to have the best presentation, or the best speaking ability. All you have to do is have the Spirit of God working in that person life. And so we have doors opening, doors closing, wherever we go, God's moving us, directing our paths, and he is the one who is, he is the one who is powerful to open people's heart. It has nothing to do, it has, I shouldn't say it has nothing to do with us, it does have something to do with our preaching, he uses the gospel, he uses the witness of, uh, our witness to change people's hearts and lives, but you don't take the responsibility on yourself to change somebody's heart. And you don't take the burden upon yourself when somebody refuses, because only God opening somebody's heart is going to help, going to allow them to accept the gospel. No one is going to accept it unless God opens their heart. Make sense? Any questions, comments, cries of outrage? Okay. One, two, three.
1: then it switches over when he has the vision and it says us. Yeah. And then it switches back over in verse 19. Right after verse 18 it
0: switches back over and starts talking about them and they. Huh. It does that because it does that it switches from they to us in verse 10 I think isn't it? And after they have seen the vision? Yeah. Who's writing the book? Who joined the missionary band? In verse 10. Luke joins them right here in, uh, some people say it's in Mysia, some people say it's in Troas, some people say it's right in this area that Luke joins. Uh, the in the rest of the book of Acts, Luke is going to be with them. He's going to be. We went there. We went there. And in verse nineteen, he's talking about they. He's talking about the people that Paul and Silas got thrown in prison. Yeah. You know, Luke wasn't with them in prison. Okay. You know, see what I mean. And so, but for the rest of the book of Acts, when they talk about their travels, Luke is going to say, "We we went here and we set off from this place." And we it's right here in sixteen ten where where you're absolutely right. I'm glad that you caught that that he he changed. Just from using they and this, and you know, they went there and they went there. From here on out, he's going to say we went and they, they brought us to whatever. Uh, Luke joined the posse. Luke joined the, he was uh, Luke the, I think it's Colossians, Paul calls him Luke the beloved physician. You know, right here around the region of Galatia. At some point, Paul got sick. He writes to the Galatians saying, uh, you know, I was with you in great sickness and and illness and you came and treated me like a brother. He says that in Galatia and he calls Luke his beloved physician in one of the letters. So, we're putting all this together. I can't say for sure but Luke was a physician. It might have been that Luke became a believer and Paul picked him up because, you know, he was sick with him and, you know, who knows? I don't know. But, this is where Paul all, where Luke joins the joins the he joins the crew okay anybody else I
1: have a question in 15 okay it says and when she was baptized and her household yeah what is and her household is that her family or
0: do you starving? think that is her? It could be. It's the people in her household, whether it's servants or family. Could be either one. Uh, you're going to see this again in the Philippian jailer. It's going to say he's he was baptized, he and his household. And... Um, what we some people take this, especially like uh, the Presbyterians would take it to mean you know the the children of believers get baptized and and that kind of thing but i don't i don 't think it does because I think that I think that what happens is the woman who is the head of the house in this instance because she 's you know obviously doesn 't have a husband or whatever she she believes and is baptized and then she becomes the influence that you know her household changes. The, her household changes to the point where she is ministering to them, witnessing to them. And I believe it denotes that the whole household is saved. Would follow, would follow Christ. And it's the same thing when you see uh, the Philippian jailer in the second part of this. Uh, it says he believed that he was baptized in his whole household. Well, the Philippian jailer takes Paul and Silas out of the jail and brings them home. You know, and so Paul was talking to the Philippian jailer and his household and all that kind of stuff. And so you see this a lot in the heads of heads of families uh, in the, in that day and age. Like if the head of the head of family says, "Hey, look, we this is what we're doing," then that's what we're doing. Uh, does it mean that every single person in the household was absolutely a believer for sure? going to heaven. We can't go that far and say, but we can say that the the, the head of the house came home and said, "This is the way it's going to be from now on." Uh, you know, I'm gonna. I'm gonna going to tell you about this Jesus, and certainly some believe, certainly, you know, there might have been false professors or whatever, but the whole household became a Christian household. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes Paul... He was on the right path anyway. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah, absolutely. And uh, we, you see this in Paul, in 1 Corinthians, he writes saying that the the... The household and the children are sanctified by even one believing parent you know doesn't mean that they're absolutely saved or anything else but they hear the gospel even if they only have one believing parent they have the benefit of hearing the gospel they have the benefit of uh, of God's word being spoken to them they have the benefit of those things happening you see it in the, in the life of Timothy you know his mom was a, a believer and a Jew and his dad was a Greek of course he's probably dead by now he's not in the picture we don't even know his name but even even, even Timothy, uh, Paul says, uh, the same faith that was in your mother Eunice and your grandmother Lois, he says, I'm sure is in you too. You know, So y- you can put all those things together. It-, it doesn't really tell us that everybody in the house believed, but the household became a Christian household. That makes sense? Mm-hmm. Okay, we got to go now. Father, we love you. We thank you for your word. Thank you for all that you do. Thank you for the blessings you've given us. Thank you for opening and